Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries. I'm your host, John, and today we're going to be looking at Cities Without Number by Kevin Crawford, straight after the music. Okay, so Cities Without Number is the latest book in Kevin Crawford's Without Numbers series, which are broadly based on the popular old school D&D style mechanics with some little skill system stuff added on and some excellent gem tools. Books that have already been released in this series include the original Stars Without Number and later on the fantasy version Worlds Without Number and they both focus on different things so Stars Without Number, Sci-Fi, Worlds Without Number, fantasy now cities without number is going to tackle a more sort of cyberpunk-esque sort of dark future vibe it's recently sort of closed its kickstarter account and as with all of his books kevin crawford pretty much has the text already done by the time it goes to kickstarter and he's already made a beta version available for people who've backed the Kickstarter to have a look at. And that's what I'm going to be having a quick look through today, just to get my initial first impressions. Obviously, disclaimer, this is subject to change, and I'm sure the final book will have numerous corrections and stuff like that made with it. But this is just my opinion based on how it looks now. One other thing to mention is that Kevin Crawford normally brings out a basic version of the book which is normally available for free on drive through rpg as a pdf and i believe he's doing the same with this book so you really can't go far wrong with that you know pick up the free version pdf have a look at it see what you think if you like it you can then chuck him a few shekels and get a print on demand copy i've backed the the print on demand copy for the kickstarter and there was also an option to buy a, a sort of deluxe like hardbound version of it on the kickstarter although i'm not sure whether that will be available to purchase later on but first of all let's have a quick look at the kickstarter page okay so here we go we can see the cities without number kickstarter page over here a cyberpunk tabletop rpg from the creator of stars without number 5,825 backers pledged a large amount of money to bring this product to life. And if you look down here, you can see out of its initial $40,000 goal, it has absolutely smashed that. As you can see here, here's my pledge, which was the $40 pledge. So I get a digital rights management free PDF, and I also get a print-on-demand code to purchase it at cost when it becomes available for print on demand from drive to rpg but let's move the description up so i'm not blocking it out down in the bottom left we can see here it says after the sci-fi success of stars that number and the fantastic response towards that number the new cyberpunk age of cities that number is upon us within the pages of this tabletop role-playing game a full-fledged system neutral synapse Synomony, I'm never really sure how to pronounce this. I think it's Synomony, toolkit for building a cyberpunk world of your own. And I've got to admit, 
in previous things like World's Light Number and Star's Light Number and other books that Kevin Crawford's done, such as Silent Legion, Spears of the Dawn, etc. The toolkits are a massive draw for me, since often, even if I'm not actually using the rule system in the book, I can pull on those tools for something different. For instance, Silent Legions is this sort of Cthulhu-esque book which tells you how to make your own mythos using the tools in there and create cults and stuff like that. And I'm pulling on that at the moment for my EZD6 campaign to create an evil cult for that. So I get a great deal of use out of these books, even if I'm not actually running those systems. And you really can't go far wrong with that. So we're told that it's going to be an old school game, fully compatible with all the other without number books. And it's going to have cyberware, high tech gear, it's got a playability-focused hacking rules, which, although I've not delved massively into cyberpunk gaming before, the few games I have tried, hacking rules and stuff like that have obviously been a, have previously been a bit of a sort of sticking point, you know, with the rest of the groups just sat there not really doing anything, and it can be a bit of a sort of drag when it comes to running the game. So I'm interested to see how that's going to work out. Gear-focused rules for drones and vehicles. They're already featured in Stars Light Number, but I'm interested to see what additional things are going to be added to this. The, the system-neutral world-building tools, as we've said. Gang, corp, and city district creation tools, which sounds great. So more stuff to flesh out a sort of a dark future cyberpunk world. 50 mission tags for adventure creation. And tags are just sort of like little descriptors that help you sort of focus and condense your descriptions down for things in the game. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. And that's just the stuff, as we're told, that's in the free version that's going to be released on DriveThruRPG for anyone to download. As with Stars Without Number and Worlds Without Number, there's going to be a free and a deluxe version. So basically, if you just want to get the free version and just jump in with the basics, and when I say basics, I don't mean to like throw shade at the game. It'll be a fully functioning working game. The deluxe version will just have like a few extra bits of polish and a few extra little bits and pieces on top of it. However, in the deluxe version, there will be variant gene-engineered human types, the PCs, the ones that are baseline humans, spellcasting and summoning rules if you want to bring in a bit of magic. And I can say as someone who's playing in a Stars Light number campaign at the moment that brings in magic, this is a nice, fun thing, and it gets that sort of Shadowrun-esque sort of fantasy sci-fi blend again, which I particularly enjoy. Obviously, if it's not your thing, you don't have to bring that into your game. And then there's going to be several open pages that are going to be filled with content based on what the backers want to see. And I think that's a really cool thing to do since it's allowing those who've put the money in to support this to actually have a bit of a say and a bit of a steer in where this book goes. We've got some lovely artwork there. And Kevin Crawford often makes the artwork available for people to use afterwards as well, which is a lovely thing. As he says, all backers got immediate access to a Google Docs folder which had the the beta version in that I'm going to be taking a look at at the moment. And all backers got the digital rights free PDF, as I've just talked about. And you get your various stretch goals and stuff like that that you tend to get with most Kickstarters. And then we've got a word about the art. So as Kevin Crawford says, because he's pretty much a one-man band, just due to the sheer practicality of it, Cities Without Number is going to be roughed with stock art, just to make sure like 
the various slots and the layout are filled in time. He prefers to commission specific art and then release it for free commercial use afterwards. But that takes time and getting the right people to do a style and stuff like that. And obviously, Kevin Crawford's priority is getting the book out on time. So you have to sort of take that into account when it comes to getting art. As he says here, he licenses his stock art. Every art piece in the book involves a human artist getting paid for it. Some of those artists use AI art, which I know can be a bit of a touchy subject at the moment. And whilst Kevin says he would prefer to avoid using it, what counts as AI drawn is very much in the eye of the beholder. But all of his artwork involves a human artist getting paid for that. And then we have the, the risks and the challenges and stuff like that. And I'm, I have no worry that Kevin Crawford will fulfill his his role and his job when it comes to fulfilling this Kickstarter. Like I said, I've backed a number of his in the past. Uh, the the Worlds Without Number Kickstarter, the the Wolves of God Kickstarter, stuff like that. And they've all been fulfilled in a very timely fashion. And the PDF stuff has been made available pretty much as soon as the Kickstarter has closed, once it's been through like a little bit of a beta period and things have been tied up. So without further ado, let's have a look at the beta copy of Cities Without Number. Okay, so as you can see, we've got this very striking cover here. If I can remember which side things are on. And we can see this is the rough draft version 0.12. And there have obviously been a number of versions before this. Now, this is just a quick flick through. So I'm not going to be looking in detail at all the 199 odd pages that are in this draft version of Cities Without Number. I'm just going to be taking a quick flick through and having a look at anything that particularly catches my eye. So there we go. Cities Without Number, a role-playing game by Kevin Crawford. And I do very much like this stock sort of page. It, it does give me that sort of future gov propaganda sort of style. And, you know, when you see like in Blader and you see like big billboards like Obey and stuff like that, which seems very appropriate for a dark cyberpunk setting. So table of contents, character creation, rules of the game, tools of the trade, you know, equipment, stuff like that. Hacking rules, creating your dystopia. So the tools and making the campaign setting running the game, so that's your GM advice session, and supplemental material, which looks to me like it's the advanced stuff that's not going to be in the free version, you know, the varying strains of humanity, magic rules, stuff like that. So let's have a quick flick through. And some of these pages are going to be blank, like the introductory page, because they're going to be filled in later. So remember again, this is just a beta version, and it will not be complete by any means. Character creation is pretty much your standard that you'll be familiar with if you've played any version of D&D or you've played any of the previous without number games. You determine your attributes, the standard six, strength, dex, con, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. And depending on your attribute scores, you get a modifier for them. You then go on to determine your learned capabilities, your skills, which is a nice little sort of add-on by the Without Number games and by Kevin Crawford, where it's a fairly simple skill system that's been grafted on. It's nowhere near as complex as something like 
3.5 D&D or something like that. But it's a nice nod to a skills system. And to be honest, I, if you really didn't want to go in for that skills vibe, I don't think it would be hard to remove skills from the game. But if you want to keep them in, the way it works is you have a level in each skill, which ranges from not having the skill at all, so minus one effectively, up to zero, which is basic competence, all the way up to level four, which is superlative expertise. You are one of the best in the world. When you make a skill check, you roll 2d6, you add the most applicable attribute modifier, you add your skill level, and if you get equal to or greater than the difficulty of the check, which tends to be around about 10 for your sort of basic check, then you have succeeded. If you get less, something has gone wrong, or you fail outright in the attempt, or something unexpected has happened. This, we again get the skill list, which is like administer, connect, drive, exert, fix, and these will all be familiar to anyone who's played Stars Without Number. And they, they're broad enough to cover the vast gamut of skills that you would need. We get backgrounds, and without going into too much detail, your background helps determine what skills you start off with and what you're trained in. We get a nice D20 table so you can randomly roll if you want, or you can pick depending on the needs of your game. And we get various different backgrounds there. We get contacts, which come in two degrees, acquaintances who know you and will work with you, and friends who already go the sort of extra mile for you. And to create one of them, there's a number of steps and there's some example contacts and acquaintances listed. The next thing you get for your character is you get a couple of edges, which are just a couple of little extra sort of bumps or abilities that you have. So for instance, educated, you can pick a bonus skill of your choice or veterans look once a scene as an instant action, you can trigger the ability to either change an attack roll that's hit you to a miss or you can change an attack roll you made to a miss into a, a sort of basic hit so they're just little edges there's an interesting box out here called operators and classes where it says those familiar with previous without number games will notice the absence of multiple classes in this game and the way the reason the author gives for that is because the cyberpunk genre isn't as heavily role typed as most fantasy genres are Everyone tends to have a bit of cyberware. Everyone can shoot a gun. Everyone's got basic use with a computer, that sort of thing. So I think that's quite interesting, and I'd be interested to see how that plays out in game. We then go on to foci, which are sort of like feats and skills that, again, give you like a, a bit of an extra sort of flair in particular areas. And there's numerous ones from ace driver to assassin, drone pilot, cyber doc, you know, you're like a medic, um, pop idol, you know, where you have that sort of performance and sort of grand largesse of a personality that's known in whatever city or setting you're in. We then go on to talk about hit points, attack bonuses and saves, which are concepts that will be familiar to anyone who's played D&D. Starting gear, and final touches for just sort of like rounding off your character, like picking a bonus skill, writing out their weapons and armor, choosing what languages they've got, picking a name, a goal, and what their ties are to the other PCs. We've got a breakdown of how scenes, rounds, and mission times work in the game. 
some additional wrinkles for skill checks you know, if you're being assisted in a skill and a bit of GM advice for when to call for a skill check and stuff like that. We then have the rules for combat with the combat sequence which is pretty familiar to anyone who, again who's played D&D because the without number games are very much built in that mold. It starts off with seeing if there's a surprise round. If there's not each side then rolls the initiative in this game it's a d6 plus the side's best dexterity attribute modifier so we're talking group initiative here then whichever group gets to go first the pcs or the npcs they then go in whatever order they wish you move on to the next group back to the start of the round rinse and repeat we've got rules on making an attack what sort of actions you can take in combat and whether they take one of your main actions so your main actions are normally like one move and one actual action or whether they're an instant action you know stuff you can do a little bit more often we have combat maneuvers a little bit of talk about shock damage which is a concept that i've become more familiar with as i've played the without number games and it basically means that some attacks inflict shock damage and it's a way of representing like additional harm and trauma so for instance shock for a weapon is listed as points of damage and the maximum ac affected so if it says shock 2 slash 15 that means that two points of damage are done to any target with ac 15 or less assailants add their weapon attribute modifier to shock damage along with any damage bonuses that are specifically noted as applying to it one important thing to note is an attack never does less damage on a hit than it would do in shock so if you've got an attack that would normally do four points of shock damage and you roll a three for damage it gets bumped up to a four so it's a nice way of representing like really sort of heavily disruptive weapons that even if you get a really poor roll on your damage just due to the size or the nature of those weapons they're still going to do damage we get some elaboration on specific um, rules like shoving and grappling, dual wielding, dual wielding, stuff like that. And then there's going to be an example of combat, although that's not in yet. As I said, again, just to reiterate, this is just a beta version. Injury, healing and system strain, major injuries and damaging cyberware. So let's have a quick look at that. So many major injuries, damaging cyberware located in a body part was crippled by the blow. Damaged cyberware is useless unless it has been repaired by someone with fix zero and heal zero skills. If the cyberware is necessary to preserve the user's life, it functions just enough to avoid death, but not well enough to do any good. So as you get more beat up, if you've got cyberware, as well as getting yourself healed, you're also going to need to find someone to actually like fix up your mechanical parts, which I think is a good idea because it's a good motivation for getting you out there to earn those credits to get your cyberware picked fixed up we've got vehicle combat chases and pursuits and character advancement the way this tends to work in the without number games is you acquire a certain amount of xp after each session or mission depending on how your gm does it when you get a certain amount of xp you go up a level and there's two tracks shown on here up at the top there's the fast leveling system where you need 3xp to get to level 2, 6 to get to level 3, 12 to get to level 4 and so on and so forth. Or there is the slow leveling rule where you need 
six points to get to level two, 15 to get to level three, 24 to get to level four, and so on and so forth. So you can use which one of those you prefer for your game. If you want that slow burn zero to hero, you've got the slow leveling. If you want to get your characters moving a little bit quickly, you want a bit more high octane, a bit more high action, or maybe you're running a compressed or shorter campaign, you can use the fast leveling system. And it's nice to have both those options available. Crafting and modifying gear, tools of the trade, so the various equipment you can get. And this is basically your, your equipment page. It looks like the, as opposed to like credits, it looks like they're using the they're using actual dollars for the currency in this game, which for some reason I found quite funny. I'm not sure why. Lifestyle costs, common wages, which it shows there's so how much an unskilled street laborer is going to be earning in the setting, which is $10 a day. A lower level street thug, 15, all the way up to the oligarchic elite of a city who's raking in like $10,000 a day. And it's nice to see this, certainly as a GM, because it lets you know sort of how much money people are going to be carrying. Like if, some, if your PCs decide they're going to mug a gangster or a street thug, you can reasonably guess how much change they're going to have on them. And also it allows you to make decisions about your setting as you're constructing it. Armour weapons and get a big list there various things you would expect to see armor and weapon modifications which i'm guessing is going to be a bigger part of this game than it was in stars without number because you tend to think in the well i tend to think anyway in the sort of dark future of a grimy cyberpunk setting i think more about people cobbling things together and improving their weapons rather than just like buying new ones or just having like the same las rifle they use and you could do a bit of this modification in stars without number but i expect it's going to be a little bit more in depth in the cities without number pharmaceuticals and street drugs a necessary part of any dark future game in my opinion cyberware so let's have a quick look at this so installing cyber a street dock needs to have at least heal one to install cyberware even the simplest systems are too complicated to trust to the hand of ordinary physicians so you've got to go out and get someone who's specifically got those skills to install that cyberware for you that makes a lot of sense I wouldn't want someone with like a, a band-aid and a sort of fir little first aid kit and no skills trying to install like a cybernetic eye or anything on me. The various checks are listed that the the cyber doc has to go through to install the cybernetics. So if your GM's making these roles, anytime you get some cybernetics installed, there's a nice little bit of uncertainty here, which to me, is very much part of the, the cyberpunk style. It's not a sure thing. There's something a little bit alien about introducing this technology into a human body. And I think having a little bit of risk when you go to it nicely reflects that. You can also have cyberware removed. It has to be maintained, so it has to be regularly repaired maintained it has to have software updates all that sort of stuff you would expect and basically what that comes down to is each month you need to work out how much total dollars worth of cyberware you've got and you have to pay five percent of that amount for maintenance which again is a great reason for going out and taking on jobs and trying to earn money because you've got to pay to upgrade all that firmware you've got installed in your body there's implant complications, 
always interesting cyberware systems and a list of various stuff that you can buy which I won't go into in massive detail but there's all the stuff you would expect from cybernetic eyes to like arms with concealed weapons and stuff like that and enhancement packs that boost your nerves and your reflexes then it looks like there's going to be ways of including modifications to your cyberware although they're not actually included yet next go on we go on to cyber decks which are the decks used by hackers for infiltrating various systems and these cyber decks give you bonuses to accessing certain systems you can also install specialist programs on them which is limited by the amount of memory slots that your particular deck has and this reminds me of the starship rules from stars of that number where you could install like extra scanners and weapons and life support bits and pieces on your ship but you have to have enough energy and enough space in your ship to actually install and run those modules so this looks very similar to that and i think it's a quite a simple but effective way of representing it we then got drones which i'm familiar with from stars light number which we're all familiar with drones nowadays they're little sort of robot-y type automatons that are remote controlled that you can fly around they've got scanners in them and stuff like that there's various fittings and options you can add extra programs hardware you can install etc and how controlling them works the way this normally works is if you're spending time controlling a drone because you're in direct control of it you're sacrificing your actions to enable the drone to take an action because you can't be running around firing guns while you're stood there like trying to work your drone so it's one or the other but it does allow you to like do things and like go into spaces that your character might not be able to and in fact in the stars of that number game that I'm playing in a minute that Johannes is running my sort of off-brand Jedi character has a floating drone with a load of scanner software in it that when we're going into a hostile situation we can sort of send the drone in ahead or if we think it might be hazardous do a bit of scanning and then we've got more information when we go in and that's been really useful vehicle rules and modifications we then are going to have hacking the intro hasn't been put in yet but we have a brief description here what hackers are what they do and then we actually have some mechanics on how hacking works so in order to hack a device or server you check your deck's cpu rating do you have a free point of cpu so have you got the processing power to actually do it as a move action you take the jacket action to connect to the device and it gives you a bit of idea on how long that takes for various things as a main action you run the program you're using to hack in on it which it describes here as you combine a verb and a subject stored in your dex memory and then you roll intelligence slash program versus the target security difficulty modified by any difficulty modifiers the verb or the program you're using might apply to it on a success the program has its effect on a failure you lose any access you spent for no benefit the program fails to run and you've potentially alerted the network the next step is you check if the program's still running if it self-terminates after completion you get back that cpu slot the memory of your computer is now freed up if you need to keep it running to maintain its effects that cpu slot stays allocated until the program is finished 
or until you terminate it as an instant action. And this is rather like applying effort to maintain supernatural effects in some of the other games. Once that effort is applied, and as long as it's applied, you've got that effect working when you put to get that effort back so it's available for use for something else you have to terminate the effect and it seems like the cpu slots with computers are going to work in much the same way there's some advice on hacking cyberware which works in a very similar way and there's rules on cyberspace combat and moving in cyberspace which is effectively i suppose the the way it represents it is it talks about um, nodes and connections and to me, that almost seems like a sort of point crawl or a flowchart where each system has a number of locations, i.e. nodes, and they're connected by these connectors that are like the corridors in a dungeon or the lines on a flowchart or point crawl. And you can move your sort of avatar between these different locations, which try to find out the information that you want to find out or do whatever you want to do. So in essence, it's like a sort of mini sort of point, very quick sort of point slash dungeon crawl that's taking place within the, an extra layer within the game. A bit sort of dungeonception. But I think that's an interesting way of doing it. And I think it'll be fairly quick to run within the game. So you're not stuck with loads of other sat on the side while it's going on. And you could keep it running concurrent with other stuff. We've got a list of the program verbs that you can have, and these are the ones that are most commonly available on the market. So things like activate to turn stuff on, analyze to work out what it does, uh, blind, like stop an alarm being raised or blind its sensory input, deactivate, decrypt, and lots of others which are pretty self-explanatory from the name of them. There's also a list of cyberspace actions you can do from jacking in and out to moving between nodes, sending a message to the avatar or a device of someone else on the system. There's cyberdeck actions like copying files, deleting files, inserting commands, and stuff like that. And then there's an example of hacking. We have demons and watchdogs. Corporate systems always have some sort of active defense. Without a vigilant demon or two in the system to alert security guards, occupants of a facility might never know they've been hacked. So demons are basically automatic programs supported by the network server. They've got avatars, much as human hackers do, but they're basically automated defense systems, really. They're the monsters of the hacking point crawl, effectively. They're located in a network based on the owner's preferences. Sensitive nodes are often guarded by a demon, and effectively you have to defeat them in order to gain access to the node and do whatever you want. So further sort of making me think of the hacking as sort of like, a mini dungeon slash point crawl within the game, which I really like. I think that's a smart way of doing it. We also have watchdogs who are basically other people or hackers who are employed by the company or whoever owns the system to go onto the system and to watch it for any other hacker activity and to directly combat them and to alert the facility. We've got common demon programs. So Obviously, they're very limited programs. We have network servers and architecture. So describing how you prepare a map, how you pick a server, how many nodes you would expect the sort of server to have. So that's nice to see. There's going to be an example of a drawn up network. 
and then we're going to have the setting creation tools and some GM advice on how to create your setting. We have a page of common cyberpunk themes and some advice on creating the world. Things like choosing a regional focus, identifying superpowers and megacorps and stuff like that. We have some advice on writing a brief history where you're not expected to write a full sort of timeline from present day up to whatever date you choose to start your game. But there are a few main points that the author advises you to consider. So what was the main cause of the current global problems? How did the major powers react to the problems at first? How did your country fail to deal with the problems? Stuff like that. And then we have some examples of the various sort of problems the world might be facing and some advice on how to build districts and areas in a sort of futuristic cyberpunk mega city. And these are the sort of great random tools and charts that I've come to expect from a Kevin Crawford project. We also have tools for creating gangs, NPCs, and then there's going to be some advice on running the game, prepping for missions, creating schemes, and the various goals that schemes might have, and the milestones along the way to them achieving their goals. We have roles for generating NPC operator teams, what schemes they have, and creating an intrusion mission. The, the stealthy infiltration of a corporate facility being the mainstay of a cyberpunk adventure. And it's nice to see we're getting a bit of specific advice tailored to that. A few blank pages here. Mission advice and mission tags that we talked about earlier. Everything from bureaucratic error to religious zealot, uh, unrefusable offer, upstart gangs. So just little tags that give you ideas on what missions could be and there's various charts that allow you to fill in a little bit more detail about that. Then we have some advice on mixing Cities Without Number with the other Cinomine games including like psychic characters from Stars Without Number, bringing in armour from other games and stuff like that. We then have the rules for variant humanity. So looking here we've got a few examples like the Eloy, which I'm assuming is a time machine reference. Nice to see that. They're a bit more attractive than baseline. They have a bit of more developed neuromuscular control. They can see in low light, stuff like that. We have the the Skyborn, who are optimized for life aboard orbital habitats. The Morlocks, again, classic time machine reference. In time machine, they were the, the sort of devolved in inverted commas, humans who dwelt below the ground, creating all the tech and preying on the Eloy of the story. And in Cities Without Number, the Morlocks are physically bolstered, they're tougher, they're stronger, but the, the compromise for that has been a reduction in mental facilities and an increase in mental instability. And the last and the most extreme of the publicly acknowledged various gene lines is the ogre. They stand about 2.7 meters tall, although they slouch, they've got their skin is tough, they've got massively thick bones, their arms are longer than human limbs, they have fangs, all that, and they have 
all the tremendous physical strength and durability that you would expect to see in the Morlock gene line, but it's exaggerated to the nth degree. And they're not very common is the vibe I'm getting from this, with most people only having heard rumours about them. We then have some optional rules for mages and spellcasting, various spells, summoners and spirit calling, spirit powers, and the graced. So these are people who have naturally magical talents, but don't actually cast spells. So an example from Stars Without Number and the Codex of the Black Sun, which is the magic book for that, would be the, the sort of off-brand Jedi that I'm playing at the moment, where I don't cast spells, as you would expect in D&D, but I have certain mystical slash psychic abilities that can be activated by me allocating effort to them. Then we have a few conversion guides, and that's it. We are now at the end of the version 0.12 beta document. So there we are. That's my quick look at Cities Without Number, a cyberpunk game of the dark future by Kevin Crawford. This is the rough draft version 0.12. So again, disclaimer, it's only a beta version, although it's looking pretty damn good already. So I'm really excited to actually see the final book. And I've already been talking to my regular players, being like, oh yeah, this... Uh, this city's without number. I'm thinking like, oh yeah, it's something like sort of human hive city in like a, a Necromunda style. That might be pretty interesting for a uh, for a future campaign. And indeed, it's having looked through this and having all these ideas popping off that's prompted me to make this video. I think given Kevin Crawford's excellent record on fulfilling previous Kickstarters and the quality of books he's put out previously. I'm really expecting this to be an absolute banger of an RPG book, and I can't wait to get my hands on my print-on-demand copy. I only wish I'd have had enough readies at the time to actually back the the full sort of deluxe off, offset print version, but alas, I didn't. But my Stars Without Number book is print-on-demand, and that served me faithfully for a number of years, so I'm really looking forward to get hold of this one. Like I said, the Kickstarter's closed now, but once the all of the stuff's been sent out, a free version of this will be going up on drive-thru RPG. Well, a free version of the final version of the game will be going up on drive-thru, which you can get there. And I fully suggest that if you're in the least interested in a cyberpunk game, using the basic framework of the D&D rules that you throw some money in Kevin Crawford's direction and get yourself a hold of the print-on-demand version. So there we are. I hope you've enjoyed this video looking at Cities Without Number, the beta version from Kevin Crawford. If you've got any suggestions or comments and you're watching the YouTube version, please feel free to leave them in the comments down below. If you're listening to the podcast version, you can set well, you can send us a voicemail even if you're listening to the YouTube version. And the way you can do that is by using either Anchor or SpeakPipe. There'll be links again in the description of this episode. I'd love to hear what you think and what your experiences of cyberpunk gaming are. And if you've got any advice for someone, myself, who's potentially looking at running this in the future but doesn't have a great deal of experience with 
cyberpunk role-playing or I have read stories and watched films set in the media I'd love to get your advice and obviously if you have enjoyed the video version please like subscribe tell a friend about the the podcast stuff like that that really does help out and I look forward to seeing you again so until I do take care stay safe and whenever you're playing have fun see you later